Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Curveball. I'm your host, Curveball, and today I'm joined by Brent Magnuson. He is a best-selling author, a public speaker, as well as a former U.S. Army combat engineer. Brent, thank you for joining me today. And thank you for having me, Curtis. It's a pleasure to be on. I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Well, let's uh, start off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, anything that you want to let us know. Sure. Uh, Yeah. So I appreciate the intro. Besides that, uh, I grew up just outside of Chicago in the suburbs and uh, grew up playing soccer and wrestling, Uh, got into martial arts at a young age and uh, after high school and realizing I wasn't going to be the next uh, Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi. Uh, I always knew the military was going to be a, a plan B or a contingency plan. My dad and a lot of my uncles and grandfathers all served. So um, naturally, that was the path. Enlisted in the Army in 96. And as they say, the rest is history. Got to serve with a, a lot of amazing people and uh, to deploy to some interesting places. And after the Army, uh, I spent a little time doing some more of that work in the civilian sector and then uh, eventually became entrepreneurial. And we dropped this book, Roger Up, a couple months back in June. And uh, here we are, we're rolling. And I'm, uh, I'm talking to Curtis Jackson, so things are looking up. So you're already a best-selling author. Is this your first book? And uh, give us an overview of your books. So we can know why you are a best-selling author. Yeah, so this is uh, this is the first one, and the sub. So the title is Roger Up, and I, I get asked a lot what Roger Up means. So I'm sure the the vast majority of your listening audience has heard the term Roger That, and as most of us know, Roger That essentially confirms a, a transmission. Roger That or copy that. Uh, Roger Up is a term we use in the army. Uh, it would be the same as in the civilian world, suck it up, man up, woman up. And essentially when things are going really bad, uh, you're physically smoked, mentally smoked. You don't think you have any left. Uh, when in all actuality, you have at least 20 to 30% more fight, more drive left in you. And when you get to that breaking point and you're able to tap into that extra reserve of 20 to 30%, it's it's really a beautiful thing. And um, I try to lay out in the book how that process happens, and uh, it's really a, a tale from my, my childhood up through the military, all the lessons learned, a lot of successes, plenty of failures, everything in between, and uh, yeah, things are, uh, things are going well. Well, let's talk about some of your hobbies. What, what are some of the favorite things that you like to do in life when you're not busy? Favorite hobbies away from the book? That's an awesome question. I've done a lot of radio in support of the book and been doing a lot of podcasts and no one's asked me that yet. Everyone's always asking about like the stuff that's in the bio or, you know, the, the big hot topics in the book. So I, I appreciate you asking. Um, 
Well, I just recently, two years ago, got married for the first time. So I think my number one hobby is enjoying uh, being a husband and enjoying being a stepdad. I have a nine-year-old stepdaughter and she is, uh, she's absolutely awesome. Uh, she was driving me crazy about an hour ago, but that's what nine-year-olds are supposed to do, right? And uh, yeah, so just enjoying kind of being the family guy. It's a new role. And in addition to that, I obviously, I, uh, I'm a big Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. And um, prior to COVID-19, I was a, a guy that really enjoyed traveling. So hopefully next year we can get back to that. And uh, I enjoy being outdoors as well. Speaking of that, um, the reason why I was asking you about your hobbies because there was two I was interested in, rocking and hot yoga. <laughs> Explain that to us, what that, what that is. Yeah, rucking and hot yoga. So rucking is, uh, it's basically putting a backpack on and going for a long walk. In, uh, in the Army, we have what's called rucksacks. So they're a little more tactical versions of backpacks. And the whole idea is that they're able to hold a lot of weight. So I'll put 20 or 30 or 40 pounds on my back and I'll go for a ruck. And, uh, you know, it's great for cardio. I'm not, uh, I'm not killing myself running at top speed. I'm just walking at a brisk pace and uh, putting some weight on my back. And uh, it's a great way for me um, as someone who's had back issues and, and knee issues, the army does a good job of, of beating you up. And, uh, but it's something I still enjoy. And I try to get out at least five, maybe six days a week in the morning. First thing, I'll go out and walk a couple miles in the, in the woods close to me here. And that's fantastic. And then, um, hot yoga is, uh, well, hot yoga sucks. I mean, I'm sure you're going to talk to a lot of people that say they love it. Um, I find it sucks more than it, than I find that I enjoy it. I enjoy the afterwards and I enjoy the benefit, but hot yoga is, uh, basically you're in a room anywhere from 90 to 105 degrees. And there's certainly some benefits in hot yoga. It, it allows a deeper stretch, a more relaxed stretch when you have that heat. Um, it's tremendous for metabolism, for weight loss. Um, and uh, it's just an all around and it's tough. You know, it's tough. I mean, uh, I'm supposed to be this, you know, kind of tougher army guy, jujitsu guy. And I've gone into hot yoga and there's 70 year old, you know, older ladies in there. and you know, I'm just, I'm sucking wind after 15 minutes and they're just laughing and smiling. And so it's challenging. And I like that about it. Plus afterwards, you feel like a million bucks. And uh, there's a, like I said, a tremendous amount of benefits to it. Absolutely. What is your favorite day of the week and why? Favorite day of the week is Monday. And uh, it's funny because my, uh, my stepdaughter asked me that uh pretty much every monday she especially since i've been doing a lot of radio and, and podcasts and people ask me about that and it's true i mean don't get me wrong i i love you know i try to love every day and the weekends are great um you know my wife's a chiropractor so she's busy with patients most of the week so the weekends like most families most people have weekends off so the weekends for us are certainly nice but um, I love Mondays. I love Mondays because it's a fresh start. I love Mondays because 
if I had a bad weekend or if I had a bad week, I can put that behind me. It's a fresh start. It's a clean slate. Let's go. I get up at 530 and I can get after it and I can dictate how that week is going to go, not worrying about the, the previous week or the previous month. It's a new day. It's a new clean slate. And I just love the idea of being out there when that sun comes up on Monday morning, knowing that uh, I'm in control of how this week is going to go. So I like the idea of it being a, a clean start. And uh, yeah, let's go. <laughs> well, that's certainly different than the rest of us feel about Monday. But <laughs> let, let's talk about even though you're retired from the military, you know, you served your country, but you're, you're still serving your country and giving back. So, so tell everybody about the Resilient Warrior Foundation. Explain what that is and, and what you do on the board of that organization. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for asking, Curtis. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure for me to, to be able to sit on the board. So the Resilient Warrior Foundation is a 501c3 organization. We serve U.S. veterans and first responders who suffer from PTSD that they acquired during their service to this country. Um, and what we do is we provide scholarships for them uh, to train and study the art of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the academy of their choice anywhere in the United States. Um, we've got a fantastic board with doctors and uh, attorneys and uh, neurosurgeons and all these fantastic people that are giving their time. And um, what's amazing is there's a tremendous amount of studies already underway and a couple of papers already published that have examined Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as a complementary treatment to conventional therapies to help improve recovery for veterans and first responders living with PTSD. So basically we talk to these different warriors, we get them signed up to train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu wherever they have a school in the US, close to their home preferably. And uh, the results are absolutely amazing, especially for some of the more severe cases of PTSD, especially uh, guys and gals that really have issues with anxiety, uh, trust issues, anything like that. What jujitsu really does well is it allows them to learn or relearn how to manage stress. Brazilian jujitsu, for your listening audience that doesn't know, is, in my humble opinion, the most effective martial art for both self-defense and fighting on the planet. Uh, roughly 90% of altercations or fights end up on the ground. And that is where jujitsu makes its money. It's bread and butter is being on the ground, even more so on your back, where the vast majority of us as human beings don't want to be. Most of us are not comfortable on our back. Uh, I started wrestling in fifth grade and being on your back was, <laughs> it, it was a sin. The last place you wanted to be was on your back. So when I started jujitsu, I really had to relearn that it was okay to be on my back and, and it was okay to get comfortable there. But really, at the end of the day, what it does is, is jujitsu puts you in hard situations on the mat. And if you're a smaller person and you've got some 200-pound muscle-bound guy on top of you trying to strangle you during training, that is a stressful situation. And through techniques and through applying um, and relying on technique rather than athleticism and strength, relying on joint manipulation and leverage rather than brute strength and overwhelming power. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu is perfect for children, for women, for smaller folks, for men. 
And again, and reinforcing that it, it puts you in hard situations on the mat that transfers over into the real world. It transfers over into your work life, into your relationship life. And um, it, it really allows you, like I mentioned, to relearn how to deal with and manage stress and anxiety. Um, you know, the, the process of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu really forces um, bonding and camaraderie, and in turn, it eases stress, trust issues, uh, anxiety, like I mentioned, and that's huge. Um, so every time you go there and you face those demons, whether it's anxiety or stress, um, you're rebuilding trust with yourself. You're re relearning how to manage stress, which is one of the biggest things you learn in the military, especially for those of us that have deployed. And uh, the benefits are just unbelievable. And I apologize for getting so long-winded, but it's, it's something I'm so passionate about. And it's something that I've seen um, so many people benefit from. And uh, I appreciate you asking about it. No problem. Have you won any championships in jujitsu? You're a champion in life. What about in the world of jujitsu? I have not. Um, I have competed but uh, I have not won. Uh, some of the competitions that I entered were some very big. I entered the world championships in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world championships for my age and my belt um, in 2009. I did not win. I entered Pan Ams in 2009 and 2010, did not win. Won a few matches, but didn't make it to the, not even to the semifinals because you've got people from all over the world coming in and there's a very big difference between a guy that has a regular job and trains maybe twice, three times a week. And a guy the same age who is able to dedicate training twice a day, six or seven days a week uh, that shows on the mat in competition. And uh, it's certainly not an excuse, but there are certainly different levels um, even at specific belt levels. Uh, you know, there are black belts and then there are world class, world champion black belts. And the same is same applies at the other belts. But uh, I enjoy the competition. I did do one uh, MMA fight in 2010. I was fortunate enough to to come out on top of that. But uh, as far as jiu-jitsu goes, I do not have any championships or anything under my belt yet. But at 44, as I'm getting older, uh, maybe I'll enter some senior divisions here in the future and see if we can't get lucky. <laughs> Absolutely. You mentioned that you love to travel. Talk about the most interesting places that you've been to, because I know you like to get into different places, culture and food and, and language and all that. And how many languages can you speak? That's a good question. Um, I can I can be conversational and comfortable um, in English, I can get by in Spanish. I can get by in uh, Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese, and I can stumble and mumble through a conversation in Italian. Um, and my German's very rusty, but I could probably pick up quick. My mom spoke German. And when I got stationed in Germany with the army, my first duty station was uh, a small town called Vilsack, Germany. So that kind of came that came through real quick. And for a while there, I was, I was pretty fluent. I wasn't reading and writing necessarily, but I was pretty fluent conversationally. Um, but yeah, always on a quest for that. As far as favorite places, um, I've been to over 40 countries. The vast majority of those are in Europe, 
again, I was stationed in, in, in Southern Germany. So being there almost three years, I had, even with a couple of deployments, I had the opportunity to travel a lot. Um, off the top of my head, I was, I was asked recently if, if money was no option and I had a place to retire anywhere in the world, where would it be? I think my number one choice, um, considering the fact that we have no coronavirus, <laughs> uh, I would probably pick Italy or Spain. Uh, Italy is close to my heart. Barcelona's arguably my favorite city. But there's a few other places because those are those are the big popular names. You always hear about Italy. You always hear about Spain. There are a few places that I have been, for example, some places in Croatia, some of the most beautiful country that, I, that I've ever seen. Um, I really enjoyed Vienna, Austria. That was a hell of a fun time and amazing people, good food, really good hot wine. <laughs> um, and uh, but yeah, for me, Italy and Spain are probably uh, at the top. But ask me that in a year, because hopefully my wife was born in Vietnam. Um, she came over here when she was four. So we would really like to be able, hopefully in 2021, be able to get to Vietnam. And if time allows, because we're already 20 hours away via airplane, it'd be nice to, to hit up some more of Southeast Asia or possibly even Australia and uh, New Zealand. But uh, yeah, that's, that's the big one on the list because I'm obsessed with Vietnamese food. And uh, it's not too expensive to eat Vietnamese food in Vietnam. So I'm sure we're going to have a good time. Absolutely. Speaking of eating, you say that you're an accomplished cook. What does that mean? And are you uh, doing any cooking shows, teaching people how to cook? Or what is that all about? We're going to with uh, with YouTube. We're going to do some. Again, I'm I am not a uh, classically trained. I didn't go to uh, CIA Culinary Institute of America or Johnson and Wales, but I've spent time in kitchens. Grew up with cooks, and uh, there are some recipes in the book, both from uh, my family and recipes I picked up along the way. Uh, the biggest one in there that we get asked about all the time is the meatball recipe. I am a meatball aficionado. I'm obsessed with meatballs. I've every major city I've ever traveled, especially in the U.S. Um, contrary to popular belief, spaghetti and meatballs is actually not a dish in Italy. If you go to Rome or Naples or Sorrento and order spaghetti and meatballs, they're going to look at you like you're nuts. Um, I'm sure someone would make it for you, but it's uh, it's an Ita it's an American Italian dish. Um, but I've been, you know, New York, Boston, uh, all over the place. Some of the places with, you know, high concentrations of Italian Americans that have phenomenal food. And, um, I kind of built off of my uncle Nick's recipe that came from Naples that he built on and we put our own little twist on it. So we're, we're confident that we have a, uh, a strong meatball. We haven't entered any competitions yet, but, um, I'm sure in the future we will, but, uh, yeah, hopefully with the YouTube channel, uh, launching, we'll be able to, especially for younger guys out there, you know, I'm a guy and I know that cooking is really a, it's a skill. And I kind of look at skills like weapons. And I think the more weapons you have in your, uh, in your tool belt, if you will, more tools you have in your tool belt, the, the better off you're going to be, especially for a lot of the youngsters out there that are just coming up. Um, it does not hurt to know how to cook. And if you're a young buck out there and you're single, uh, that could be the one thing separating you 
from the other fella she's talking to the other competition out there. And if you can whip up uh, some stuff in the kitchen and, and, and knowing how to make a world-class meatball in less than 30 minutes, uh, that certainly doesn't hurt your, uh, your dating life. So we'll be putting that out uh, when I don't know Curtis, but I would say sometime in the next couple of months, we'll start putting out some, some videos as well. And I'd actually like to go into some kitchens and, and talk to those executive and sous chefs and, and find out what they're doing and get some techniques that we can pass on that people can apply in their everyday kitchens. So we'll see. Absolutely. I definitely love meatballs too. So I can't wait till you get that channel out. Are there any other projects? You're you're from Louisiana. I'm curious. um, Cause my wife is, do you call them crawfish, crayfish or crawdaddies? We call them crawfish. Okay. Crawfish. Okay. So in Chicago, I don't know why we have, we have accents, I guess. And, uh, we say crayfish, but I know a lot of them call them crawdads or, um, so I was curious because my wife loves crayfish, crayfish, crawfish, whatever you want to call them. I'm a big fan too. It's just a lot of work. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. It is a lot of work for that little piece of meat. All that work for that little piece of meat. And then sucking the heads and, I mean, oh, I don't, I don't do all that. I'll let you guys have you, that. You, you don't do, okay. You don't, so you don't go all the way there. All right. That's cool. No, no. <laughs> Are there any other projects that you're working on that people need to know about? Sound like you're a busy man. Yeah, we're busy. Uh, you know, just, you know, dealing with all this COVID stuff and, and uh, having to pivot a little bit more. We're definitely uh, working on a, a coaching program and hopefully we can get that launched right after the new year. Um, don't want to let too much out of the bag because I don't know exactly what all is in the bag. We're in the process of building that, which is actually one of the most fun things to do is, is to, to build something from scratch and to get input from people and uh, bring that to market is, uh, is a pretty exciting thing. So that's kind of where we're at now. And right now still, still doing podcasts and, and, and putting the word out uh, about the book and, um, yeah, so that's uh, that's pretty much what we're up to now. Well, speaking of that book, go ahead and give that book a plug and, and give your contact information out so when people can connect with you and, and know how to keep in touch with everything that you're doing as it launches and rolls Yeah, out. absolutely. So again, the book is Roger Up. Uh, you can check it out on Amazon, paperback and ebook. And uh, as far as I go, you can, you can look me up on Facebook, Brent Magnuson. And uh, yeah, appreciate you guys picking up the book. I would strongly encourage you. Again, there's a there's a stunning statistic, and it it's frustrating to talk about as a writer. And anyone that's written a book, um, first and foremost, I recommend everyone writes a book, whether you bring that to the marketplace or not, whether you publish it and put it out there on Amazon and everywhere else is entirely up to you. But for me personally, the the writing process was amazing it and especially when you're writing a book like this where you're putting yourself out there and like everyone else i'm very flawed and when you have to talk about those things you know there's we all have things about us we don't like you know um and when you have to look in the mirror and put it all out there knowing that it's out there for the world to see and more importantly it's out there we hope for the world to like and enjoy but there's going to be people out there in the world that want to criticize it. And we have to be able to take and accept that. But for me, the writing process was so amazing. 
And then, you know, when I start looking at numbers, like 84% of people in the United States that buy a book do not read past the first chapter. 86% of people in the United States read less than one book a year. So those are real numbers. That's not just something I'm pulling out of a hat. Um, <laughs> and, and they're uh, frustrating numbers as someone who writes books and, and is an author. So I would encourage you if you, if you get the book, uh, and I encourage you to go get the book. It's a $9.97 investment to get the ebook. And I promise you the ROI on it will be priceless because there's so much we cover in this book. But if there's only one thing you read, maybe two, I would say you have to read the first chapter, which is the 0530 blueprint. It is such a good breakdown. I say that humbly of a morning routine. And we've all seen all these morning routines, but this is practical. It's realistic. It's to the point. We cut all the fat. All you get is the actual meat on the bone and it's easy to apply and there's no fluff. And the other thing I would strongly recommend uh, people check out is the chapter entitled Roger Up Your Circle of Influence. And this is one of the things that's had the biggest impact on me. And it is simply uh, you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with the most. And I'm not talking about your folks, your kids, your spouse, the five friends, the five people you hang out with and surround yourself the most. Uh, you're the average of them. And I believe that so much because I've through life now, I've had different times where I had different circle of influences, different five people. And um, my whole goal now is to have all stars. I realize I'm not going to have five Michael Jordans. And for the record, I think Michael Jordan is the GOAT, not LeBron. Different topic. But I digress. Uh, I think it's important to assess who you're hanging out with because at the end of the day, you control the content you take in. You control, you control who you listen to. You control the books you read. And most importantly, as hard as it may be, because you've maybe been hanging out with certain people for 5, 10, 20, 30 years, you control your circle of influence. You absolutely control who you hang out with and who you surround yourself with. And at the end of the day, if, if all five of your friends are, are, are broke, there's a very good chance you're going to be number six. If all five of your friends are negative Nancys and constantly tearing everyone else and you down, the second you start getting some momentum, it's only a matter of time until you're that sixth crab in the bucket. And on the flip side of that coin, if you're hanging out with five people, that are getting after it every day and chasing success and setting goals and being as positive as they can and wanting the most out of life, there's a very good chance in a short amount of time, you're going to be number six. And uh, those are the two things that I think if you do take from the book and you fall into that unfortunate percentage of folks that read less than one chapter out of a book, read those two things, shoot me an email at brentmagnuson at gmail.com. And we'll talk. <laughs> Is there anything else that I missed that um, you would like to talk about before we go? No, I appreciate the time, Curtis. It was great meeting you and um, much continued sex success with your uh, with your podcast. And uh, yeah, again, I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Ladies and gentlemen, Brent Magnuson. 
For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.